0: this morning and uh, I realize that may be a little risky Um, but that's all right you know live life on the edge Um, it's an odd book to preach from revelation uh, and and, uh, the English journalist G.K. Chesterton said that St. John saw many strange and wonderful creatures in his revelation but none so strange as his commentator's. Which I think is a little telling for some of the divergent readings that we sometimes have when we uh, come to this book. But a conviction will be informing my comments this morning, which is that this book, Revelation, was written to be read by the church. Okay, and that, that might sound a little redundant or a little simplistic, but this book was written to be read by the church today by the church 500 years ago, by the church in the generation after the Apostle John wrote it. This isn't some uh, inscrutable book of mysteries that we can only guess and puzzle at. Revelation itself tells us, blessed is the one who keeps the words written in this book. We want to be blessed and we want to keep these words and so we want to look at Revelation to see uh, in this missionary month what the, the end or the goal of missions is. Where do we end up? And, and it's an important question to ask, isn't it? I mean, there's all sorts of important questions to ask about missions. There's how do we do it and why do we do it. But, but what's the end game is an important question to ask here as it is everywhere else. You wouldn't begin a project... You wouldn't begin a, a project in your wood shop without saying, what is it that I'm going to build, right? If you did, just say, well, I'm just going to putter around and nail some things together and see where we end up, you might end up with a very lovely abstract shape made out of lumber, but it wouldn't really be useful. There wouldn't be anything going on with it. Or can you imagine if without any kind of foresight or thought, you decided to, to go to your kitchen and to make a meal, right? and you may end up uh having bitten off more than you could chew say oh no i was I, I, this calls for sour cream and i don't have any but i've got some mayonnaise and um you know they're both white and creamy maybe this will work and and before long you've gotten yourself into a bit of a mess it's so important for us to look at the end game everywhere and and here as we look at missions and so the text was read and i want to jump in uh, what we see in revelation which is so encouraging, should be so encouraging to us, is that missions works. Amen? We're, we're not in some sort of Sisyphian task where we would say, oh, we're going to the nations, but every time we, we go out to another tribe or another people, it seems so futile. And while the, the name of Christ is proclaimed, nothing is really happening. Sometimes, Perhaps in our world and in our efforts to evangelize our neighbors and the nations, our efforts look futile, but God has assured us that missions works. Not our mission, not our missions. It's, it's entirely conceivable, isn't it, that you could send someone to a tribe and that there could be really no conversions that come from that, that mission trip or that mission endeavor, but God's mission God's mission to purchase for his son a bride for the sake of his glory will succeed that mission will succeed and missions works i think that revelation chapter 7 instructs us as to the success of missions in three particular ways in the first as we read the text is that missions succeeds through suffering. John sees this multitude that no one could number. And this language harkens back to Genesis chapter 12 where Abraham is promised offspring that no one would be able to number. Look at the stars, Abraham. That's in Genesis 15. Count them. So shall your offspring be. There's a multitude that no one could number and this multitude is drawn from every nation from all tribes, from all peoples and from every language this language too is drawn from the Old Testament it's drawn from Daniel's uh, visions and, and the um, the encounters in Daniels chapter three to seven that just as every tribe all nations, all peoples, all languages in Daniel chapter 3, bow down to worship the image of Nebuchadnezzar. So now here, all nations are coming to Christ. And they have palm branches in their hands. This reminds us of the Feast of Tabernacles where Israel was to take palm branches and to build little shelters from them to celebrate God's deliverance from Egypt and uh, God's provision for them in the wilderness. They're standing before the throne. They're standing before the Lamb. They're clothed in white. They have palm branches in their hands. And with a loud voice, this multitude is crying out, Salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. And the four living creatures cry out. And the elder asks John, who are these? This multitude, who are they and where did they come from? And John gives an answer that I think is very wise. Rather than trying to guess, he says, well, you know. Sir, you know. And the elder said, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Mission succeeds in the midst of great suffering. I think that sometimes because we're human, because we're finite, because our perspectives are finite and tinged with sin, that we think that suffering is antithetical to the work of God in the world. That it's like oil and water. And so if there is suffering, God must not be at work. For if he were at work, he would deliver us from suffering. And that's not true. Rather, the Scripture teaches us that God delivers us through suffering, not from suffering. These are those who have come out of the Great Tribulation. In this world you will have trouble, what Jesus says. And Peter says, everyone who seeks to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And this is perhaps nowhere more evident than on the mission field. We've all uh, perhaps heard stories, seen documentaries, read missionary biographies, heard testimonies, perhaps from this pulpit, of the kinds of trials and suffering that missionaries face in the attempt to proclaim Christ in every nation. The obvious kinds of suffering of being away from home and away from the comforts of home and the amenities of home, being away from family and friends, which is hard enough now. I mean, imagine 100 years ago or 200 years ago where they shipped their possessions in a coffin knowing there's a real likelihood I won't be coming back to my home. The sufferings not only uh, of going, the sufferings of being in a place that is not their own, the sufferings involved in in um, perhaps having to traverse uh, difficult terrain in order, going through uncivilized places in order to reach unreached peoples, or the, or the sufferings having arrived of of being unheard, of being persecuted for the faith which is being proclaimed, of of, uh, laying down their lives or their possessions, having their homes burned and being driven out. These are the kinds of sufferings that that missionaries and those who would proclaim the gospel can indeed face. And the sufferings of those who hear, and this isn't the case everywhere in the world, but consider, consider those who come to Christ in a predominantly Muslim context and the sufferings that they would face. I mean, if you are a Muslim and you come to Christ in a Muslim context, and many times you get off easy if all that happens is that you are shunned by your family, cut off. But so often the the backlash for conversion is so much worse. And we look at it, we look at the suffering in Sri Lanka, and we look at the suffering in Indonesia. Christians are being persecuted right now. We look at the suffering in in China and in the Middle East, and we think, oh, how can this be uh, in any way counted as a victory? Is God at work? Is He blessing our efforts? Can you imagine the difference being a missionary if you thought that if god was with you there would be no suffering right if god is with me there will be no suffering what happens 5 years down the road when you have faced suffering and persecution and trials god is not with me and therefore i should just go home but imagine the comfort and the strength that can be drawn From the realization that God is with me in suffering. And these are those who have come out of the great tribulation. What a difference. What a difference that makes in the longevity of our missionaries. You're probably aware that the longevity of a missionary's term of service has shortened greatly in the last 50 years. No longer are we sending out missionaries who stay on the field for decades. You're lucky to get a missionary who stays on the field for five years. Is it perhaps because we're afraid to talk about suffering? And is it perhaps because we believe that suffering is not part and parcel of the Christian life? But it is. But it is. Suffering is promised. And it is not antithetical to God's mission or to the success of God's mission. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Missions succeeds in the same way in which the Gospel succeeds. Through faithful dying. Isn't that what we read in Revelation chapter 12? That the beast... The dragon was thrown down. and says that they have defeated him. The church. They have defeated him. How? By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their own lives unto death. 1,800 years ago, Tertullian said the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Is that true? Is that true today? That when Mao shut up China and started persecuting Christians in China, usually, probably Christians left there by Hudson Taylor and the efforts of the the uh, China Inland Mission, and China went dark for decades, and we had no idea how the church was doing in China. Has it been extinguished? There being pastors are being arrested and thrown in jail and killed, and as we begin to hear decades later reports coming from China. 10,000 converts every day. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, amen. And we move forward the same way that, that Christ has instructed us. If He's our Savior and our Lord, then we would do well to follow Him even into death, knowing that faithful dying precedes a resurrection. This is instructive to us and encouraging to us, I should hope, that mission succeeds through suffering. Second, missions succeeds in saving. This multitude is gathered from every nation, from all tribes, from all peoples, from all languages. What a diverse group. and they cry out with one voice. What are they crying out? Salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. There is no mission. Don't mistake this. There is no Christian mission, no truly Christian mission that is not centered around the message, the salvation of our God, and the Lamb. Missions is not, let's go to India and open an orphanage, though that may be a noble and a good thing to do. But if the salvation of our God and of the Lamb is not proclaimed, it's not Christian missions. Missions that cares about temporary suffering and not about eternal suffering is not Christian missions. And so missions is not adopt a kid in Peru and send you know $20 a month and we'll feed him and clothe him. That may be a good and a noble thing to do, but if it is not united with the message of the Gospel that salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb, it's not Christian missions. Oh, we should be so careful. We must be so, so careful that we don't take on the flavor of the world when it comes to humanitarian social justice. A social gospel that says we will bandage you, we will feed you, we will educate you and teach you to read, but we will not proclaim Christ is not a gospel at all. And and this would hopefully, I hope and I pray, that in this church and among these people, that this is uh, something that is incredibly obvious to you. But in our world, and in the evangelical church at large, this is not obvious. I read a report from my own denomination about uh, a church in, I think it's Wisconsin, Wisconsin that what they've decided to do is on every fifth Sunday of the month, every fifth Sunday of the month, if there's a fifth Sunday that month, they close down shop and uh, they take church to the the local um, city homeless shelter and they're doing humanitarian work with the homeless. And this was, of course, praised and touted in the article. And I thought, well, that just means that 20% of the time you're, you're, you're trading proclamation for something else. And why is it that you can't go to the homeless kitchen every Sunday of the month after church? There's a, there's a, there's a misunderstanding of what it is that saves. But their robes are white because they have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And so missions succeeds in saving. And in no other way. And missions succeeds in shepherding. This, this seems to be a poem. I don't know if it's spoken by the elder or if it's spoken by John. In verses 15 to 17, therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water, and John will wipe away every tear from their eyes something you should know about john the apostle and his writings of john first second third john and revelation is that john loves ironic pairings and so we see the lamb for the first time in john in john chapter 4 forgive me in john chapter 5 john hears a voice he hears a voice saying behold the lion of the tribe of judah has conquered so that he is able to take the scroll and to open its seven seals. And he turns and sees a slain lamb. He hears a lion, a conquering lion. He sees a slain lamb. He hears a lion, he sees a lamb. And these sorts of ironic pairings are scattered throughout the book of Revelation. This is why uh, the church is described in the first part of Revelation in terms of a military census, 12,000 from this tribe and 12,000 from this tribe and so on. It's a military census, and yet they are martyrs coming out of tribulation. It's an ironic pairing. And here, who is the shepherd of these coming out of the great tribulation? The lamb is their shepherd. The lamb is their shepherd. Think of how tenderly this lamb would shepherd them. How tenderly to use that expression. The Lamb will be their shepherd. The Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. We said at the beginning that in any endeavor, it's so important to count the cost, to have a complete picture in mind, and so again here. When we, when we go to do missions, when we support missions and have to decide which kinds of missions we will support, when we train people to do missions, when you bring up the possibility of missions to your children, do you do that. You say, what should I be when I grow up? I don't know if your kids ask you that. Maybe you should be a missionary. When we talk about missions, let's not talk about missions as a sort of a drive-by. Jesus saves, and then we're gone. This is why, friends, I, I mean, let's just be honest. This is why the great evangelical movement of the 1950s, the Third Great Awakening, produced large congregations that built large churches that are empty one generation later. A lot of people came to Christ. Very little shepherding. No discipling. The work of missions is the Great Commission. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We see from time to time at our own ministry a counselor uh, during our summer camp ministry who is excited and has a gift for getting eight-year-olds to say the sinner's prayer. And then we watch those eight-year-olds turn into nine-year-olds and 10-year-olds and 11-year-olds. And if there has been no shepherding or discipling, I can almost guarantee... That by the time they become a 15, 16, 17-year-old, there will be no faith. And if they remember that event at all, that event of being eight years old and being, you know, pray after me and that sort of thing, if they remember it at all, they will remember it as some sort of childish phase or fancy. There must be a shepherding. The lamb is the shepherd. And all of us who have been tasked with the gospel, tasked as, in some way, under-shepherds. Those who preach and pastor. Those who teach, those who go and proclaim the good news. This informs us, doesn't it? Our, Our preaching, our teaching, our proclaiming of the gospel cannot be divorced from discipling and shepherding. And there are ways in which it is so much easier to preach a drive-by gospel. Because I don't have to, I don't have to deal with anybody's dirt. I can just say, Jesus loves you, you're a sinner, come and be saved. Okay, I'll say the prayer and then, alright, we'll see ya. But to, to get into somebody's life and to walk with them every day through the good things and the hard things, week after week when simple concepts don't seem to make any sense. You go, you really should have advanced a little bit further in the faith by now. You ever think that as a disciple maker? I thought we would be further by now. We have to patiently walk with our people. Day by day and week by week and year by year. Isn't it at the end of Christ's ministry on earth and at the end of three years, three years with his disciples that Philip says, show us the Father and it's enough for us. And Jesus says, have I been with you so long, Philip, and you still don't know me at all. And one who's seen me has seen the Father. Think of the patience of Christ in that. the patience of Christ. He'd been with them for so long, and he continued to teach and to disciple. Christ is our shepherd, amen. And he will lead us to springs of living water. And someday, as we are gathered around the throne of God, with people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation, having every tear wiped away. For the memory of pain, thirst, hunger, scorching heat are distant, distant memories. We will praise God. Salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. Christ will be our shepherd. What a picture for us to hold before us. Say, that's how missions works. That's God's mission It is the mission of God to sanctify His people through the shepherding, the the steadfast daily application of Word and Gospel in the power of the Spirit. This is the example that Christ left behind of shepherding and discipling, and it's the example in which we are to walk. That through tribulation and through suffering, we preach a Gospel of the salvation of the Lamb. And we do this not as a momentary and temporary engagement with an unbeliever, but as a daily walk of shepherding disciples. What a vision of missions, a mission that will succeed.